Psalm 121 can be found on page 656. Um, it is titled, My Help Comes from the Lord. Psalm 121. I lift my eyes <coughs> sorry, to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Thanks, Susie. Let's pray and ask God for his help as we come to his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Please give us understanding now, and Lord, use your word to grow us in faith and trust in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. I want you to imagine for a moment the same kind of exercise we did with the kids. Imagine what it would be like to have a full-time bodyguard. Someone whose job it is to care for you and protect you and to keep you safe. Uh, this person would take a bullet for you if they had to. They'd jump in front of it. But they're also, they'd also care for you in many more practical ways. When you're about to trip over, they lean in and gently catch you. They're impeccable drivers. They keep you from any serious car accidents. And they'll walk you downtown at night. You don't bat an eye at weird noises that the house makes in the middle of the night because they're always on guard. At school, they'll stop any bullies from getting to you. They'll even intercept door-to-door -door salesmen and telemarketing calls for you. What would that be like? Would that make you feel safer? Would you sleep better? Maybe not. Maybe not because the difficulties and dangers that you face aren't the kind that a bodyguard could actually help. And no bodyguard can stop you from getting sick. No bodyguard can protect you from grief. No bodyguard can keep you from, from financial trouble or fix broken relationships. But here in Psalm 121, we see someone who feels completely safe completely confident, completely sure of help, regardless of what happens, because he does have a bodyguard, someone who keeps him and protects him. But this bodyguard can handle absolutely anything. And this is good news for the psalmist, because he's on a dangerous journey. You can tell from the heading at the start of the psalm, this psalm is one of the psalms of ascents. These are songs that God's people would sing as they travelled from wherever they lived up to Jerusalem to gather with God's people to feast and to celebrate and to worship God. And God's people were to do this three times a year for Passover, Pentecost and the Feast of Booths. These are songs for the journey, these psalms, as they look forward to Jerusalem and as they long for God to fulfil his promises. And you can see that in this psalm. He's travelling up to Jerusalem. In fact, this psalm has even been called the Traveller's Psalm. But in the days of the psalmist's writing, it's dangerous to travel. It involves walking hundreds of kilometres on foot, 
sleeping on the open road. You might be robbed by bandits or face wild animals. You might fall from the path. You might get sunstroke. It's dangerous to travel in those days. But amongst all this danger, our psalmist is confident. He reminds himself that he's safe because the Lord is his help on the journey, his keeper, his protector. And the Lord is better than the best earthly bodyguard we could possibly imagine. And as we see his confidence in God as his keeper, we're going to see that no matter what we face in life, we too can be confident in God's help because of Jesus. First, the psalmist declares, the Lord is my help. This psalm starts with a question, verse 1. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? You can imagine the psalmist on the road traveling up to Jerusalem. Maybe he's somewhere in Judah, getting closer to Jerusalem, and he's looking up at the hills around him as he travels. He must be a little worried because he wonders aloud where his help comes from. Now, it's hard to know what's so significant about the hills. He doesn't tell us exactly. It might be that these are hills near Jerusalem and he's getting excited because he's nearly there. He's nearly in the place that God has chosen for his temple, where God dwells with his people. And so he's reminded of God's help. Maybe he looks at the hills and he remembers that God made the hills. They are solid and sure, and the same God who made these hills cares for him. Or maybe he rejects the hills as places of help. In ancient Israel, they would often set up shrines to worship other gods on the hilltops. And so he looks up at the hills and he refuses to trust in other gods. Instead, he remembers that his help comes from the Lord. Or it might be that he's afraid. The hills are a source of danger. Robbers would hide in the hills and wait to come down upon unwary travellers. Maybe there are wild animals there. He doesn't tell us what he's thinking when he looks up at the hills. But maybe that's the point. Maybe the point is that whichever one of these it is, in whatever situation he faces, he refuses to give in to fear. He refuses to trust other gods for help. Instead, he answers his own question with confidence in verse 2. My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He's not afraid of dangers on the journey. He's not looking to other gods for help. His help comes from the Lord. But notice carefully what he's saying here. First, he uses God's covenant name. In your Bibles, you'll probably see it written as LORD in all capitals. That's because it's God's covenant name, Yahweh. It's a name God gave to his people through Moses back in Exodus. It's a reminder that this is the same promise-keeping, covenant-making God who made eternal promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, who saved his people from Egypt, who made a covenant with them in their desert, promising to be their God and they would be his people. The psalmist remembers that this is the covenant God who has an intimate and personal relationship with his people Israel. Yahweh will keep all his promises that he has made to them. But that's not all. He expands it in the next line. Hebrew poetry, it doesn't rhyme words like English poetry does. Hebrew poetry rhymes ideas. 
The first line will say an idea and the second line will unpack it and will develop it. And here it unpacks who Yahweh is. He is the one who made heaven and earth. Everything that exists, every tree, every rock, every hill, the sun and moon, everything was made by God, by the Lord. And because he made it all, he rules it all. This is the God that he trusts, the God he has a personal relationship with, is the all-powerful God who created the universe. No wonder he's confident. And not only that, but he knows that the Lord won't sleep on the job. The psalm changes here. In verses 1 and 2, he speaks in terms of I and my. And now in verse 3, he starts using you and your. He moves from singing of his own trust in the Lord to encouraging others. He's on the road expressing his confidence with God as his keeper and then he encourages the others on the road with him. They can be confident in the Lord's help too. Now, just as a quick aside, this is actually what we're doing when we sing together in church. When we sing as a church family, we aren't just singing our praises to God, we are singing to each other. We are encouraging one another with the truth of God's word. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 5. We are addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so like the psalmists, let's sing up so that those around us can be encouraged. In this case, what does he sing to his companions? Verse 3, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is the one who keeps his people. It's the same word as guard or protect. It comes up six times in this psalm. God keeps his people. On the road, you face a very real danger that your foot will slip. You'll fall off the path, down the hill. Maybe you'll sprain an ankle and won't be able to keep traveling. But the psalmist reminds those around him that the Lord will keep them safe. And he'll do it without fail or break. The very best human bodyguard needs to sleep. Even Troy needs to sleep. Needs to take a day off. There's even a danger he'll nod off on duty. I remember as a kid being scared at night and dragging a mattress into mum and dad's room. Being close to them, I felt safe. Like nothing could hurt me. But now that I'm a parent, I know that that's not quite true. Mum and Dad could not always watch out. They had to sleep. They were vulnerable too. And it was like that with the other ancient gods, the gods of the high places. One of the jobs of the ancient priests was to wake their gods up when people needed them. Remember Elijah in 1 Kings 18 challenging the priests of Baal to get Baal to light their altar and then he mocks them, oh, maybe Baal's asleep and he can't hear you. But it's not so with the Lord. He always watches out for his people. He never slumbers or sleeps. He never nods off. He sees all that happens and he's always protecting his people. The Lord will never give up on watching over his people. And not only that, but the Lord will keep you from harm. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. 
The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. If you're walking tens of kilometres every day in Israel in the summer heat, sunstroke is a real danger. But the psalmist says that the Lord is like shade at your right hand, like an umbrella that keeps you shaded from the sun. He also says that the moon won't strike you by night. And that's a bit of a weird thing to say, right? Like, how can the moon hurt you? I've never heard of moonstroke before. In the ancient world, they used to talk about insanity as being caused by the moon, like our word lunatic is connected with the word lunar from the moon. Maybe he's saying that the Lord will protect his people from insanity or from the cold of night. But I actually think the psalmist is painting a bigger picture for us here. This is a picture of the Lord's protection from all dangers, from all the dangers of the day and all the dangers of the night. The Lord's protection covers every danger you could face on the road, day or night. But it's not just when travelling the road. The Lord will keep your life always. The psalmist broadens the picture here in verse 7 and 8. The Lord's protection covers all of life. Verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. It's as broad a picture as you can imagine. The Lord will keep his people from all evil. This will include all their travels, their going out and their coming in, their lying down, their day-to-day activities when they go out to the fields in the morning and come back at night. It includes everything that happens to them. And this care won't go away ever. The Lord will keep his people now until the end of their lives and indeed forever. Even death won't end God's care for his people. The Lord's care carries on into eternity. The psalmist is absolutely confident of the Lord's care and help, and so he encourages those around him with that confidence too. Better than any human bodyguard, the Lord will keep them from all evil no matter what. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? But there's an elephant in the room, isn't there? The big burning question that we all have to answer to make sense of this psalm. This all sounds great. God caring for his people, keeping them from all evil and harm. But how does that fit with our real life experience? We face chronic sickness. We die. We stub our toes in the night. God's people lose children. We endure anxiety and depression conflict in our relationships, infertility. Around the world today, God's people suffer for their faith. And it's not just us. God's people at the time that this psalm was written faced suffering too. They were surrounded by enemies. They were carted off into exile. They got sick. They faced trouble. Is the psalmist just living a pipe dream? Is he making this up? Or has God broken his promise? Has he fallen asleep at the wheel? Or perhaps the worst fear that we might have, if I'm suffering, does that mean that I'm not really one of God's people? That God doesn't care about me? But this psalm doesn't actually promise no suffering or trouble. In fact, this psalm expects it. 
When he asks where his help will come from in verse 1, he expects that he will face troubles in life where he needs God's help. He expects that in this life he will need a keeper. This psalm doesn't deny trouble for, for believers, it expects it. But this psalm does promise that no evil will overcome us, that the Lord will keep our lives, literally our souls. No suffering or sickness or evil, not even death itself, can finally overcome us. Instead, even in death, we will be kept from evil. Our souls will be kept safe and he will keep us for all eternity. Even though uh, through all the troubles we face now, the Lord will actually be our helper. He will watch over us. He will be with us. He won't fall asleep on the job. He won't forget about us. He will keep us from this time forth and forevermore. The psalmist is confident, not that he'll face no trouble, but that the Lord is his helper even in that trouble and he will not be finally overcome. And this song, written by the psalmist, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was collected in the book that we now have as the book of Psalms. God's people would sing this song together as they travelled to Jerusalem, encouraging one another with this confidence that the Lord is their help on the journey. Until, hundreds of years after it was written, it was learnt by a Jewish boy travelling with his parents to Jerusalem every year, and as a model Israelite, perfectly obedient to God, and as God's promised king, Jesus would have sung this psalm. And on his lips, he would have proclaimed that the Lord is Jesus' help. Jesus trusted himself perfectly to God's care. In the wilderness, as he fasted for 40 days and was tempted to provide for himself, he trusted that God alone was his help. Throughout his life, as he lived without a home, maligned and mocked, plotted against, as his enemies planned to kill him and turn the people of Jerusalem against him, he would go into the wilderness to pray and he would trust himself to God's help. When he prayed in the garden, knowing that he would face the wrath of God, he trusted in his will. Even as he hung on the cross, bearing the wrath that we deserve for our rebellion against God, he cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Through all that, all that he faced in his life and death, Jesus trusted the Father as his helper. He knew that the Father helped him, protected him, guarded him from evil. And his trust was vindicated. Jesus was raised from the dead in victory. Even in death, evil did not overcome him. Instead, he suffered and died for us and was raised in victory as a righteous, victorious king. And he ascended into heaven where he now rules at God's right hand. We can imagine the words of this psalm on Jesus' lips as he proclaims that his help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And also as he turns to those around him to remind us that the Lord will keep us from all evil. He will keep our life. Jesus, as God's promised king, addresses us with the encouraging words of this psalm. He reminds us that the Lord watches over his people. He watches over us. In him, we can sing with confidence that the Lord is our help. We have a natural tendency to look to created things for help. 
to lift our eyes up to the hills and to see our help there, to find security in our financial situation or our career, the security system that we just put into the house, to find security in the people around us or just by depending on ourselves, by keeping on going, by pushing through. This is a natural tendency to look away from God and trust in in other things. That's our undoing. It's sin, choosing to rule our lives our own way. But Jesus has gone ahead of us and he's perfectly trusted God for us. And he suffered and died to bear the judgment that we deserve for turning away from God to other things. Through faith in Jesus, we are adopted as God's sons and daughters. We can come to God as our Father. We can know that we are loved and deeply cared for. In Jesus, we can sing with confidence that our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This doesn't mean for us no suffering or pain. This doesn't mean an easy life with no trouble. But it does mean that no suffering or trouble or even death can finally overcome us. Suffering is not a sign that God has rejected us, that he's failed on his promises or that we aren't his people. Because even in our suffering, God is with us. And more than that, as God's people, God actually uses our suffering for our good. Our suffering doesn't overcome us, it grows us to be more like Jesus. God uses our suffering to present us mature in Christ. That's what we read earlier in Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Because the Lord is our helper, we don't need to fear suffering or trouble In fact, these things are used to our benefit and they cannot overcome us. Let's hear again those, let's hear these beautiful words from Romans 8, 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we have been killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So with even greater confidence, we can join the psalmist in singing of our help that comes from the Lord. Our God, who made heaven and earth and who gave his own son for us, he is our help regardless of what we face. He is sovereign and good even in our suffering. He doesn't fall asleep on the job. He won't forget about us or let us down. No danger we face, day or night, will bring us ultimate harm. We can sing to one another of how God will care for us always, now and forever. And nothing can take that away. So what's distressing you today? What are you afraid of now? Is it depression or anxiety? Is it discouragement, sickness, cancer? Is it grief at the loss of a loved one? 
Is it financial stress or worry about your children, concern for a friend? Is it struggle with a temptation that you cannot seem to shake? Is it conflict with someone you love? Is it fear of persecution or the state of our world? Maybe this morning you're here and you're not someone who trusts in Jesus, who has not called on the Lord for help. What are you looking to for hope? Because nothing else will deliver you true hope. Everything else will let you down. But Jesus suffered and died for your sins so that if you trust in him, you can have true and lasting hope. Let me encourage you this morning to trust in Jesus, to turn to him for help. I'd love to have a chat with you about that afterwards if that's you. Maybe you're here as someone who already trusts in Jesus. I want to say to you, in your distress, whatever you're worried about this morning, don't look to the hills for help, for ultimate hope. Don't look to money or job security. Don't look at your spouse. Don't look to your children. Don't look to your study or worldly success. Don't look at your own sheer willpower. All these things might be good and they have their place. But as a source of ultimate help, they will let you down. Instead, look to the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who gave his own son for you, the one who loves you deeply and has promised that he is always working for your good, that he will keep you from evil from this time forth and forevermore. He will keep you now in this life until we reach that heavenly Jerusalem where there is no more sorrow or suffering or pain. And even then, he will keep you forevermore. So let's join this song. Let's sing with the psalmist of, the com of our confidence in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's keep pointing each other to the Lord too, the one who is our sure and certain help the one who never sleeps on the job, who will keep you from harm and who will keep your life always. In the Lord Jesus, we can truly sing. Our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, we praise you as the one who made heaven and earth, the one who watches over and cares for your people the one who even gave your own son for us. Father, we confess that we have looked to created things for our hope and our safety. Forgive us, Lord, we pray. Forgive us for looking to things that will only disappoint. Instead, turn our eyes towards you. Please help us, each of us, no matter what we face at the moment, to sing with confidence with the psalmist that our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Please remind us of the big thing that you are doing, changing us to be more like Jesus. And please give us greater confidence in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.